I just want to give the choir the opportunity to make their way into the sanctuary at large. I take no offense. Usually people walk out in the middle of my sermons. <laughs> While they're coming, I should comment, Jerry, thank you so much for not only your hospitality, but your, your very warm introduction and uh, your reference to my grandson Nathaniel and his love of ribs uh, and my record as the rabbi who's picked up the most checks for the most pork uh, runs in the family because his father when he was in high school worked for another of the great barbecue places in Memphis and on one Saturday the Jewish Sabbath uh, our son David worked not only one but two shifts because one of his friends was sick and so we firmly believe that somewhere in the Guinness Book of World Records, David Danziger holds the record for the most pork delivered at the takeout window by a rabbi's son on the Sabbath uh, in, in the history of modern cu cuisine. So, what happens after we die? I actually wrote a sermon, but I want to draw your attention to something we just sang. Because if you thought, as surely you didn't, that I was going to give you an answer that you couldn't get anywhere else, <laughs> I was struck by a line in Hymn of Promise, which says, in our death, a resurrection, and by the way, in Judaism, one of the traditional ideas of life after death is in fact the resurrection of the righteous of all people, at the time of the coming of the Messiah. But in our death, a resurrection, at the last, a victory, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. So I'm glad to be here, but your hymnal says clearly, I don't have the answer. <laughs> what happens after we die? One of the saddest and most rewarding moments in the life of at least this minister, and I assume many others, is when, God forbid, there is a death. I find myself sitting with a family who has just learned that day or the previous day of the death of a loved one. It may be untimely and unexpected or the end of a long and painful vigil. And they begin to talk to me about the person who died. And at first it sounds as though they're talking to me because they want to help me know what to say in the eulogy. But as they talk, the focus moves from talking to me to sharing with one another. And they begin to share their memories, their feelings. I become quietly a kind of fly on the wall, or as I prefer to think of it, for that evening or that afternoon, I, like your clergy, become a member ex officio of the Smiths or the Joneses or the Levies or the Cohens. They begin by calling, recalling special moments and the feelings that went with them. They think about and they talk about the special qualities of the person who has died, what they most want to remember, the incidents that brought out those qualities, what that person really was to, to the ones who knew them best and loved them best. There are tears, but there are also smiles, sometimes almost at the same time. 
The moments and the memories that make up a lifetime begin to fill the room, and it's my privilege to listen, not to take notes, just to listen, to be there. A man in his 40s speaks of his father hours after his death, and he praises him as his inspiration, his motivation, his guide. I say, but what about your adolescent rebellion? Surely you had one. He said, he helped me through it. I speak with a woman whose mother has grown old and dependent on her daughter. The daughter mourns her mother as her best friend who loved her and strengthened her without reservation. And there are moments of humor. I say, what was your mother's greatest virtue? And they say without hesitation, her family was everything to her. She cared so deeply about us. She wanted to know what we were doing, where we were going, how we were that day. And then I say, we all have failings. What was her greatest flaw? And they say, her family was everything to her. <laughs> she cared so deeply about us. She wanted to know what we were doing, where we were going, how we were that day. And that's even before the Geico ad, which says mothers call always at the exact wrong time. If you're a mother, that's what you do. Mothers, forgive me. I had one, and I'm married to one. A few moments before a funeral, someone walks up to me and says, Rabbi, you wouldn't have known this, and proceeds to tell me about some magnificent kind deed that that person did. Someone walks up and says, you know, I worked for him for years, and very often it is somebody who had a menial job and begins to tell me of the kindness, the consideration, the caring that he received from that employer. Someone sends me an email and says, you would have no reason to know this, and goes on to tell of something grand that this person did that would never be publicized that would never make the news, except for a little human interest segment, the ones that move us so much after the evening news, which always is framed as, if it bleeds, it leads. What happens after we die? What we have done with our years and our lives is recounted in sacred memories and sacred moments. The investments we make in love and devotion, caring for one another as family and friends, pay dividends in memories that mingle tears with thanks. A, giant, a grandchild speaks of cookies or vacation visits, another of walks taken, another simply of being made to feel special. So I've spoken of the long lives, deaths which are not untimely, but in the ripeness of long years. Of course, how very much it is to be a minister, a rabbi, a priest, to sit with parents who have lost a child, the partner whose loved one died too soon, the family who did not dream when they awoke that day that they would lose a loved one. But even then, out of the shock will come the good memories, the real memories, the ones that will last. These are the most important things that happen after we die. And you see, they involve no leap of faith, no great act of God, 
to preserve in some distance somewhere what we cannot see or hear or touch. They are what happens here because of what we did before we die. They are the moments I heard that Oklahoma was having a number of uh, earthquakes. <laughs> Those of you who are not clergy will know that I'm sure Dr. Biggs, Reverend Wiggs, others would bear me out. We all know that at some moment we are going to make a theological statement which causes either lightning or earthquake. <laughs> For us, we have this picture of the earth swallowing up the rebels against Moses, led by Korah, and we know it could happen, but I digress. <laughs> what happens there beyond the grave, that is in the hands of God. What happens here in this world after we die, that is largely in our hands. So far, you probably knew all that without my telling you. There's something else that sometimes happens, and in some ways it is the saddest moment of all, and that's really where I go now for a moment with us. Someone says, should we call Lois or Larry? Should we call Charlotte or Charlie? Harold or Harriet? And there's an uneasy silence. Lois and Larry, Charlie and Charlotte, Harold and Harriet, they are the long estranged brother or sister, father or mother, son or daughter, friend of the deceased. Perhaps it was long ago. Someone says they haven't spoken in years. My God, what was it that started the whole thing? Was it who got grandma's engagement ring? No, I think it was someone not being invited to Bobby's wedding, and no one can remember, but the question is there. Should we call? What if they say something terrible on the phone? On the other hand, it was a son or a daughter, a father or a mother, a brother or a sister, a longtime friend. What do we do? I recall asking once at a funeral, where the deceased sister's sister was, and I was told that they were estranged, that she had been told not to visit the hospital and not to attend the funeral. As the person who told me said, pretty estranged, huh? I recently saw one of those questionnaires which we are given to fill out for our family that can be a very helpful guide, not only the physical and fiscal the plans for the funeral, but our hopes, our dreams, what we want to leave behind to them. But one of the questions was, whom do you not want at your funeral? And I thought, my God, can you imagine writing a name there? Can you imagine what kind of bitterness or ongoing anger would lead us contemplating our own death to be so concerned not to have someone have the pleasure of being at my funeral. One can almost hear the person say, if he shows up, it'll kill me.
So that is also something that can happen after we die. We may leave untreated, unhealed wounds of our lives. We had a falling out long ago, but we were indestructible and immortal. So eventually, yeah, eventually we might patch it up. Who cares about making up anyway? And if we want to, we always can, sort of. Jewish tradition says, be of the disciples of Aaron, making peace and pursuing it. So the rabbis said, how did Aaron make peace? And they said, when two people had had a falling out, A and B, Aaron would go and sit beside A and say, you know, B is very upset, terribly sad, wants to make up, is just sickened by the end of this friendship. And after he had gotten A ready to make up, he then went to B and said the same things about A, none of which was true. And Aaron is praised in the tradition because even truth takes a back seat to making peace. You know that Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. Judaism and Christianity together understand what greatness there is in that act. Truth is secondary to peace. And we have two phrases in Jewish tradition, mipnei darchei shalom, for the sake of the path of peace, and mipnei shalom bayit, for the sake of peace in the home. For the sake of peace, you can do things you could not do otherwise. If you doubt me about the truth question on peace, for those of you who have ever had a four-year-old child, and your four-year-old came home from preschool, and brought a picture and held it up to you and said, look what I made. And you recognize it. It is either a picture of a large dog or a detailed map of Argentina. <laughs> but of course, we all do the same thing. We say it's beautiful and we put it on the refrigerator. For the sake of the path of peace, for the sake of peace in the home. The Talmud teaches us, repent one day before your death. Mend your broken relationships, treat the festering wounds, put aside the poisonous grudges one day before your death. And of course the obvious question is, how do I know when my death is? The answer is, of course, do it now. Otherwise we will leave behind the question, should we call Lois or Larry, Charlie or Charlotte, Harold or Harriet? And in Judaism, the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is a day where our atonement is said to be only good enough to atone for sins against God. But for those wrongs we have committed against others, we must seek their forgiveness. And when ours is sought, we must give it. So part of the answer to the question, what happens after we die, is determined by what we made of the years given us before we die. What we leave behind is what we have created 
in sacred moments and warm memories, in love and service and friendship, and God forbid, in untreated wounds whose pain continues at a bit, as a bitter legacy. I don't know what happens after we die. All of us have the right to hope for whatever hope gives us comfort. Some of us have religious faith that tells us more. Now I say, all of us have the right to hope. <laughs> there was a time in my movement, Reform Judaism, when an overemphasis on what appeared to be rationalism said, you can't believe in life after death. It's too miraculous. There's no evidence. Well, yes, there's no evidence in that sense of scientific evidence, but that leaves us free to hope for what we hope for, to believe what we believe, and as the hymnal said so beautifully, God will ultimately reveal it. That is my hope. So, ultimately, my belief is, if there is anything we need after death, God will provide. But what my loved ones and my friends need here after I die, that I have to provide for myself before I die. Then at least there will be comforting memories, tears of love, but also smiles even laughter, and those will not be drowned out and overshadowed by wounds left unhealed and torn relationships never mended. And after our days on earth, one of the great blessings we can leave behind is to leave no reason for anyone to ask, should we call? You fill in the blank. And as we say in Judaism, since this was all about life after death and dying, may you live ad meyaviesrim. May everyone here live to the age of Moses. We wish each other in Judaism to live to the age of 120. But given social security, <laughs> some of us would settle for living to the age of 100 with the energy we had at 20. Amen.